Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. You know what is always great on a winter day? Something hot, like tea or coffee, or maybe even cocoa. But do you know what makes that even better? Cookies. Did you know that a national cookie company was founded in Battle Creek? That's right, Archway Cookies had its beginning right here in southwest Michigan. Today, I have a very special guest, Sarah Rice, and she's joining me on the show, and she's co-authored a book on the history of Archway Cookies. So we're going to explore some of the history of this wonderful company, and of course, talk about cookies. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today. It's great to be here. Really excited to talk about this. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Who doesn't love cookies? So Sarah, could you begin talking about yourself? Uh, could you? How did you come to write this book? And how did you become involved as a writer? Can you give us a little background story on that? Um, I studied history and popular culture at Western Michigan University. Uh, and so after I, I taught for, you know, a career and after teaching, um, I did, I retired and lived in Mexico for a little while. And then I just came back and I really didn't have a project. And so, uh, Leah, I've known since high school and she reached out and she said, Hey, will you help me write a book about my grandma? And I said, mm-hmm well, let me take a look and see if there's enough material. And what we discovered was there really wasn't enough material to write a book solely about her grandma, and um, so, uh, who was one of the founders of Archway Cookies, along with her husband, Harold. Okay. So then you kind of ventured on down the, uh, the storyline and found the, the full story of Archway Cookies, huh? Right. Found out all the little details of it. Um, and what's been interesting is that, you know, it's really hard for Archway has always been a family business up until, you know, they sold it out of Battle Creek. So if it wasn't the Swansons, it was the Markhams, it was the Townsends, the uh, McKay's, the Olins, you know, so we had all these families. And so I think, you wow. know, being on the inside, they worry, you know, what's going to be said about me and it's, or, you know, my person. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about any people <laughs> in any <laughs> okay. way, just to let people know. Sure. So, so could you tell us uh, some of the history, how the company was formed? How did it begin? Well, um, Harold had been a baker for Don Donuts in Ohio and, mm-hmm. um, he so he was you know he was in Indiana when he met his wife so he was working in Indiana for, for a little while um, and when once they got married they thought you know he really loved baking this was his thing they had both gone through eighth eighth ninth grade that was their education level um, mm-hmm. she came from a farm he came from Ashtabula Ohio. And so together, he's, you know, he thought, you know, Battle Creek seems like a good place to have a Don Donut. So 
you know, how about let's check it out? Oh. So they came to Battle Creek to look for the right place for to own a Don Donut franchise. Oh, okay. And so from there, um, he got turned down. And Don is from, I might add, Don Donuts is from out of Jackson, Michigan. Okay. So, you know, it was kind of in the neighborhood. But Don Donuts wouldn't let him have a franchise. So he was here in Battle Creek. Oh. And so he said, well, you know, we'll just start our own bakery. And so in okay. 19... 19- 1936 with uh, five kids, four kids. The fifth one was born. Um, in 36, they opened their own full retail bakery. Wow. And now I saw that in the book that you sent me that it was on 901 Capitol Avenue Northeast. Yes, which is now Roach Home Improvement. Roach, <laughs> Roach Home Improvement. I saw that and I was like, wow. That, and as I was looking at the building online, it's like you can see where the bakery was on the lower level and... And they lived upstairs, huh? Right, wow. and they went to Verona School at the time. Did you visit their office to ask them? Yeah, we walk did. Around? And so <laughs> they let us downstairs, but they had an apartment upstairs, so we couldn't go in there. Uh, but at gotcha. the time, yeah. it was when it was the bakery. Uh, you had to go outside to go up the steps into the apartment, and now oh, okay. they made that upstairs inside so the right. store was separate from that and then the, they moved from there well um to bidwell avenue okay and had the ba- had a retail shop there um and from there uh they bought the property on at 330 upton okay and, about, right, and that's right about 1940. So it started as a bakery, and then it evolved into a cookie company somewhere around World War II? Or? Exactly, and that determined what they could bake, because they were bakers. This is what they did. Uh-huh. She did the books, he did the baking, and you know she helped um, when she could. But what, would, what happened is they had heard that there were going to be rations, uh, rationing of, of products um, that they would not be able to get to run a full bakery. So Harold uh, oh. almost gave it all up, said, I'm just going to go into welding and take some classes and learn how to be a welder. And, right. you know, but then, you know, they stuck with it. And, you know, it was really, um, they, they looked at the products they could get and how much they could get the quantities um, of ingredients. And so they said, okay, let's go with cookies because, you know, during during the depression and the war, there there were, were no sweets, so the closest oh. thing you could get was a cookie. But you know, sugar was rationed, so they weren't always able to get sugar. So um, hmm. Leah and I, Leah Leah bakes. I don't even walk in a kitchen. That's how how <laughs> baking right or cooking. Um, so we kind of figured that. Uh, what they were probably selling was molasses cookies because they take mm-hmm. uh, sugar beads and um, oatmeal, oatmeal cookies. And the, so they would have had to make the one kind with the least amount of sugar in them in order to get right. them. But the war, but but what happened was this, uh, the... Uh, 
organization called the OPA, which was a price, organizational price um, organization. Um, they, what they did was set, set limits. So you could, had to set that your price of your product, retail price, mm-hmm. it, it had to be within a pennies of other companies uh, for the quality kind of cookie you, you would get. Um, so they also, you know, so they knew exactly how much and how many ingredients they were getting along with the pricing. So mm-hmm. they really structured their business going forward, you know, those regulations, mm. uh, because they knew how much they could keep and, and, you know, keep on hand. Otherwise they'd have to turn it back over. So because right. of because of those regulations, they learned how to be very and and they grew up. They were became adults in the depression, so they knew how to be thrifty. Wow. Okay. So this their cookie company almost could be said was a born out of necessity, or fitting a market that based on the available ingredients. Exactly. And then, so, then their, their next challenge was with World War II um, was, you know, rubber and gasoline were also rationed. So they were limited to the distance they could travel Okay. because of those rations, you know, and being a baker, he could, you know, get more because it was his business, but it was mm-hmm. still, still a challenge because you could only distribute so far you know, on oh. your set of rations, you know, you couldn't drive to, you know, to, to Lansing or Bay City or somewhere, you know, at oh, five okay. times a week because you have to have only had so many gas rations. Wow. So they had to set up a sp- specific route that fit within their rations. Right. And so they couldn't really sell outside of a certain distribution area around Battle Creek because, you know, of, right. of the rationing. Um, and, and you know, so it, it happened to coincide with this time they started to franchise, you know, toward after the end of the war, they started franchising. But so they had by 1950, well, 49, um, Fort Wayne, Indiana uh, was their first franchise in 1949. Okay. So, you know, up in there. Wow, so this is that's where something very interesting happened where we we they lose the name Swanson Bakery, right? It's- that that happens um yeah, so they started franchising and so you know the grocery stores all have these conferences where all the grocery all the stores come in they can taste different products and and um right. they're called uh, market conventions. And so um, Archway was there at, at a convention mm-hmm. and representing Swanson Cook. Oh, well, they were Swanson Cookies. Um, so they, right. they were representing themselves there. And then just across the way happened to be Swanson Foods. And, oh. <laughs> you know, that was a big time because TV dinners were just coming in, right? Because of mm-hmm. television. So um, because... The Swanson, so they had an agreement because they had kind of heard about Swanson cookies, but they thought Mm -hmm. it was some small regional kind of cookie company. 
Um, mm -hmm. And then when they kept running up against Swanson cookies here and there and getting, you know, inquiries about Swanson cookies, thinking they were the same company, Swanson Foods oh. sued nationally, right? Um, mm -hmm. So even, so, and they won. So even where Swanson's cookies was in states like Michigan and Indiana prior to mm -hmm. Swanson Foods being there, um, nationally, they, they, you know, they just said, no, you know, they're, you can only spell swans in one way. Right. So, um, right. That ended that. <laughs> so they had to come up with a new name and, uh, archway cookie was, was it, huh? Yeah. It, it, there's a great story. Battle Creek loves this, loves the stories about where Archway got its name because everybody has a different idea. So uh -huh. I do present, I present three of them in my book. Okay. <laughs> so, well, we won't go into detail. We, get, we don't want to give all the great details of your book away, uh, but that's, that is a fascinating story. And let's just pause for a moment because we have Sarah coming to the Battle Creek Regional History Museum on April 29th, and she's going to be doing an awesome presentation there. Uh, we've entitled the event C is for Cookie, and you can get tickets on Eventbrite. The tickets are only $5 each, and I will put the link to that in the description of this podcast episode. And it's going to be at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum, which is at 307 West Jackson Street in Battle Creek. And she will be not only speaking about the history of Archway Cookies, she's going to be signing her new book, which this will probably be the first event where the book is made available. Is that right? This is like the debut. It is. Nowhere else can you get it until May 15th. Wow. So we're going to have it there at the 29th. She's going to be signing the books after the presentation. She's going to go into a lot of the great details about the history of Archway Cookies. And we even have some uh, people from who used to work at Archway Cookies buying tickets and telling us that they're going to be there. So it should be a lot of fun of, of storytelling of this great company there. So... Um, what was it primarily always cookies that they had or did they have any other products that they introduced over time um they did uh they introduced the first diet cookie in 1961 um oh, okay sometimes what they did at, was they if they had new products they wanted to give a shot um they had a another label that they would uh bake under uh, to try uh -huh. it out and see how well it sold and just determine whether they could market it. Um, all the diet cookies, they did a pound cake, um, but pretty much oh, okay. just always cookies, always cookies. Always and, cookies, know, well, okay. What it was, was that, you know, they were, they were a franchise organization, so what would sell in Michigan not didn't necessarily sell in California or Massachusetts, right? And okay. so each bakery could have their own product line if they wanted to. Um, so like in Michigan, the biggest cookies that are sold here are um, sold well here were uh, molasses and windmill are two that like the rest of the nation mm -hmm. didn't really eat, but we do. Um, in mm -hmm. uh, Massachusetts, they eat hermits, hermit cookies. Um, okay. 
California, they have some other some other ones that they that they were famous for. But, you know, so the, mm -hmm. the branches were I mean, the franchises were all very different. And so until Gene McKay and George Markham stepped in, came in after Harold died and Ruth sold the franchise business to mm -hmm. Gene McKay and and George Markham. At that point, they started nationally branding everything so that everything was the same the product line was the same the you know the colors were oh, okay. the same, everything because you know the, even their packaging was different in different places and they wow okay a few times with the packaging because it looked too similar to other products okay interesting so the franchise was so, so it wasn't just distributing prepackaged cookies from a central location. There were individual bakeries set up all over the country. Right. Is that and correct? So, um, and usually a territory was given on a handshake deal with Harold, mm -hmm. and that's how they got the franchises. Okay. Um, and, and, and so each, each bakery had their own owner, but the distributors were also owners of their own companies as well. So the bakeries didn't mm. do the distribution. Individual distributors did the distributing. So, wow. you know, there was a couple layers in there. So, but they switched out cookies with, and every week in every store around the, you know, around the country was like, they were not long on the shelf. Wow. Okay. So they were always fresh when people came looking for them. Interesting. So in your research, what would you say was the transition point when they went from just being the small Swanson bakery and they decided to go and become a national company? Was it somewhere like, like post-World uh, War II or... Uh... Right. And I think, you know, they're, they're, they had been so successful in southern Michigan um, and mm -hmm. then once they started Indiana and people just started calling from all over the world, really wanting franchises. And so, you know, when when that started, they were really had it was like, OK, you can use our name basically on whatever you make. Right. They had a right. set of recipes, but, you know, they had to modify them because um, in certain places, cookies wouldn't turn out right because of the humidity or the altitude uh, and how it affects all the cookies. Um, okay. So uh, they, each bakery made their own adjustments. So there were no set recipes, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, they, mm -hmm. they did, they had a, you know, a core, but then everybody did their own thing. Um, okay. But in, in the ba bakery ingredients are interesting at the Longview, Texas in 1967, brand new mm -hmm. building uh, blew up because the flour exploded and blew the wow. entire <laughs> building to pieces. So th that was not good. And so they were shipping, you know, they had semis running to Texas from Oklahoma, like on a daily basis to cover that territory. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, but the flour explosion, it, it's interesting, you know, because apparently, you know, um, under the right conditions, that explodes, pudding mix explodes. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think bakery was a dangerous job until I, I found this out. It is combustible. It is combustible, that's for sure. Um, they did have a fr franchise in Japan as well in the 70s. Uh, 
okay. franchise there. Um, and that was really interesting, too, because they had a real different, you know, their culture is different and they don't eat sugar like we do. So uh, or the sizes that we eat and Archway cookies were big, you know, they're kind of big cookies. So um, oh. they had uh, so the McKay's uh, McKay's used to go over there um, and help them with the bakery and, and but the humidity, the altitude, the whole geographic thing just wasn't conducive for Archway cookies. Um, mm. it, it was it was pretty interesting. I, I kind of explained it a little bit better in detail um, in the book, but it, it that okay. and they also did have a bakery in Canada as well. So there are actually labels in French. Oh, okay. So the the company expanded all the way to Japan. Um, and all over the U.S. and then into Canada. Were there any other to get over to Europe at any point? Or no, they had requests, but they did. You know, they, that was too far for them to keep any kind of control, really. And they, you know, mm-hmm. and they their experience with Japan showed them that um, climactic changes would be difficult. I so see. they didn't expand any further. Interesting. Wow. But baseball and Battle Creek and Archway are significant together. Um, Archway put oh. out uh, two major league baseball players, Kenny Hamlin and Dan Dobek. Um, oh. In the 50s, they played on Archway's uh, baseball team at C.O. Brownfield. Uh, oh, okay. Exciting. And uh, they were friends with Carl Angelo, who's a local baseball Hall of Famer. Um, so baseball oh. and Archway made a baseball card for him, uh, where he's uh, <laughs> riding a bike with his glove on and a batting helmet riding the bases. So wow. uh, there's a lot of baseball in the in the book um, because part of the you know the whole thing is that takes place in the 20th century. Our idea of business and family and work were also different than what we're moving to now. And it's good right. to kind of take a look at that and see how the changes in um, technology turned around into personal, you know, per- people wanting that te- more and then the business sales come in and uh, everything changes. So this is really yeah. a story about how they kind of group together. Like Harold could have never had his business if the uh, Roosevelt Works projects in the 30s hadn't have been able to plug in um, ovens and refrigerators. You know, Icebox Icebox cookies were like huge in the 1930s because it's the first time they could actually freeze the dough or keep dough refrigerated. So a lot of those techniques were were there. And then some of them hadn't been invented yet. So Harold, you know, he wanted to be able to flip a roll of cookies that were coming out of the oven and there was nothing invented for that. So what he did was... used a, a Venetian blind that had a little curvature and he could scoop it under um, and flip them, flip them over. So, I mean, so he came up with some really not, he designed the oven system he has because it wasn't a, it, it's more of like a, imagine a house furnace um, and you mm-hmm. put a rack of cookies in, the, in there. They're cooked by right. the heat, not by a flame. 
So he worked with a guy in Grand Rapids, Charles Warner, to make a specific oven to get the Archway cookies exactly how they wanted them. And, and wow. it's just fascinating. I mean, he goes on with, yeah, the, the guy was just brilliant at what he did. And, and he just impresses me so much, you know, that, you know, he mm. could walk in a room and, you know, sell a franchise, convince a community to build the franchise right there. He knew the exact specifications of the building, say you need this, 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 and this, and here you go. And, you know, he'd be, he walked around in a flannel, he wasn't a suit guy, he wore khakis and a flannel shirt and t-shirt and baseball uh-huh. hat, you know. So it, there's a lot of really interesting little nuggets, like, um, you know, first TV commercial, because Archway did commercials uh, by, oh, okay. by Morris Frank, who, who was, uh, 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 he was based in Indiana and did commercials for local areas and apparently commercials uh, for television were meant to be destroyed after use kind of Uh Um, and somehow a barn in indiana 60 years later pulled out a bunch of reels of swanson's cookie films uh commercials so really interesting so you know they had a period they were trying to get kids so they had an archway ranch you could send away and get spurs and a you know a cab the whole thing you know um so yeah, was, it, there is just a tremendous amount. But you know, I want to say that it's the whole book, um, all the way. You know, it follows all the technological changes that we see. And mm-hmm. you know, in researching it, I noticed in uh, Archway published a monthly magazine at newsletter, um, right. and in the newsletters were just filled with you know. Um, Dorothy and Anna Langs went on vacation, caught three great fish, you know. I mean, so you knew all over the country what people were doing that worked at Archway, who were just, oh. you know, regular line people or custodians, whatever, you know. I mean, but you knew who okay. everyone was because it was a really small group. Um, and so then what happened was you can see the change in the newsletters as our nation began kind of getting it together and boosting up for big business, you know, no more mom and pops, Mm -hmm. you know, let's put regulations on everything and, you know, do this. And you can see even through the newsletters, it stops being about the people and being more about the dollars and sales. And so, um, and what's, what's hot and what's not. And so you can kind of, you know, watch that transition as we experienced it in life. You know, we've gone through that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, remember the 80s and 90s where everything was a giveaway because companies were trying to be able to improve their stock, you know, or absorbing right. other companies so that they could, you know, keep their stockholder holders happy. Um, and mm-hmm. our was no different. It went through all those same struggles. And then for Battle Creek, it was double whammied because not only did they have the bakery where most people worked, they also had mm-hmm. the national headquarters building out on Wayne Road and Fort Custer. Uh, okay. It, and Dickman Road, Wayne and Dickman, right there on the corner. I think it's now uh, EPI um, okay. headquarters. Yeah, kind of or familiar something. with that area. Yeah, yeah. So that, wow. that was 
George Markham and Jean McKay had built, it had, you know, top of the top notch, you know, um, kitchens, Tusk kitchens, every, uh, it had everything in it. And um, then the bakery was located at 330 Upton. And if okay. you kind of look at the aerial spot of, of um, that property, it's it's like landlocked. You can't go anywhere because there's railroad tracks, there's river, you know, rivers. Right. There's nowhere you could expand that that building to okay. uh, to keep it open. So they ended up closing it because it didn't make business sense. I mean, their hearts were, I think, the McKays and the Olins and Markhams and Swansons were all brokenhearted when the, the you know, Swanson Bakery closed um, in 1980, um, 1993. Um, okay. And then they still had, but they still at least had the headquarters out in Dickman. Um, but then that closed. Uh, they went after Archway was sold um, to Specialty Foods. And, you know, that became a, that part of that property. Um, I think okay. at, at later point, Lance Foods buys them, you know, um, mm-hmm. and Snyder Snacks. So they were there. But it, it was just a shame, you know, and, and everybody in Battle Creek was really heartbroken <laughs> over the closure. And some people were really angry at the McKay's and the Olin's about it. But there was just, you know... Mm-hmm nothing they, they could do they couldn't do anything you know um to keep it in battle creek and that was sad oh i oh. forgot to mention one other thing off topic but um balloon festival um uh-huh. archway and kellogg's partnered in a balloon fest sponsoring a balloon festival in battle creek in 1990 i want to say 95 um, okay I, you know because battle creek was really you know, they mm-hmm. love their air balloons. So um, Archway had t- two different air balloons. One was Archie, Archie. Um, the Archie balloon looked like a Noah's Ark with animals off of it. And, this wow. is um, and the other one, the earlier version was the Archway cookie jar. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they would go around the country with their balloons, you know, at all the you know, uh, family outings, you know, or company outings that they would help have at parks or whatever for the su- in the summertime. Um, mm-hmm. The would come and give all the kids a ride, and and there's airplane stories in here too. Um, I'm trying to think of. So we have we have Archway cookies as partly the thank for the balloon festival that's kind of existed in Battle Creek for so many years. Kellogg's doesn't partner with a lot of people, but Gene McKay had a lot of connections with Kellogg's. And so um, Mm -hmm. George Markham and Gene McKay were able to, to, and and the the Olin family as well, were able to get those, you know, keep those connections strong and and built them. In fact, Archway uh, was one of the only companies Kellogg's ever allowed to use their product in a new product that wasn't theirs. So okay. what happened was like Kellogg's makes all brand cereal. And right. in, in the eighties, Archway wanted to make healthier food cookies cause it was a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so Kellogg's allowed Archway to use the all brand flakes in their cookies or in a product that they were making a bar or something like that. So oh, it was- okay. So after the company kind of got 
bought up by bigger corporations. What happened to all the other bakeries around the country? Did they close as well as it became more of a a food product line? Or well, what happened is that the closures started sooner. Although, even though um, Harold initiated the whole franchise system, you know, and he trained George Markham from, you know. Mm-hmm. basically doing a, a lot of, you know, line work and lifting the flour is where mm-hmm. George Markham started with Harold, who was his father-in-law. Um, and so um, mm-hmm. Harold taught him all about the franchise, kind of, you know, they talk business guy stuff. And then um, about after Harold died and they had to switch the name, uh, they then they at that time, they had to separate Archway from or Swanson Cookies from Archway. So what they had to do is make an okay. umbrella, so you would have the headquarters um, with like Swanson Cookie Company. Okay. Then would be a franchise of Archway underneath. It. So so uh, okay. George and Jane McKay were the overarching umbrella and the Swanson Cookie Company was the bakery in town. In the end, what happened is, um, oh, they started closing the franchises. Uh, when George got a hold, George and Jean got in there, they're like, this is craziness. You know, everybody's all over the place. Nobody knows how to do anything. Ruth hated the franchises, didn't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. You know, so George and Jean pulled them all together, kind of unified them, and then started buying them back because George always wanted the whole company under one roof. Like, Coverage okay. Farms, which is a terrible company. Mm-hmm. And both of that are under Campbell's Soup labels today. Oh, okay. So how many people did Archway Cookies employ, perhaps at its peak here in Battle Creek, for example? Do you have any, any idea? I think at any one time they probably employed, you know, maybe 2,000 people. Okay. I think for custodians because it's a franchise right Right. so all they own is the business they don't own the delivery trucks they don't you know they don't own a lot the ovens you know but but with the distribution centers and everything else that were connected a lot of people were employed by archway across the country though yeah yeah there were no distribution centers okay you know usually like they was what they would do would be pack um 10,000 dozen uh, 10,000 dozen packages of cookies in a semi truck and Archway had or Swanson's had three of them in the 50s or mm-hmm. 50s early 60s and they would send them on routes going northward and so as they would go to northward they you know just pull into some guy's driveway and unload it to the distributor mm-hmm. and so that guy never left his territory wow. unless it was a business meeting. Okay. And there were, you know, I think 11 routes in Michigan in probably in the late 1940s. Wow. And they had to go to go to, they delivered to uh, the upper peninsula before there was even a bridge because that bridge wasn't open for traffic, I think, until 1957. Wow. So they went all the way around through Wisconsin and 
no, they had a boat. Put those cookies oh, okay. in. And there's one guy in there's a guy in Alaska, and I talk about him in my book. And oh my gosh, how, how he got cookies was just it was a journey to get get cookies. <laughs> But um, wow. yeah, in the end, when they sold the company in 19, I want to say 98, um, okay. at that point, there were only five bakeries still open that were baking. Okay. Most of their bakers and most of the cookies were coming out of um, Boone, Iowa, uh, Merritt Baking, and okay. the other um, and they baked for the West, Ashland, Ohio baked for the East. Uh, there was mm-hmm. one in New York who just baked for New York. Uh, the Oregon Bakery baked for Alaska, uh, wow. Washington. Uh, there was a California bakery um, that closed uh, earlier. So in the end, there was the, particularly the Florida, the New, the New York, um, there were like, and, and Iowa and so there were like five of them at the time they sold the company. But see, the, and so like Ruth and Margaret Rudkin from Pepperidge Farms were kind of, you know, like, you know, peers in a way. You know, they both started cookie companies the same year. Okay. When, Ruth, when Ruth sold the franchises to George and Jean McKay, George Markham and Jean McKay, the same year Ruth Rudkin sold her company to Campbell Soup. Okay. Um, and it's um, remarkable the price difference, and it's all because, you know, Harold when when Harold and Ruth started, it was the middle of the depression. They didn't have a dime. They had four kids, you mm-hmm. know, and five kids. You know, at one point they had to sell their living room furniture to try to get, well, the Don Donut franchise, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, wow. it was such a, such a different time period and. So we have this event coming up in April. Um, what what else can people expect to, to experience at the event? Are we going to have some Archway cookies there? Actually, yes. Um, we have <laughs> uh, given a project to Taylor, uh, Taylor Groth, who um, is a young, young woman who wants to do graphic design. So she's making a, a book that... Um, is about Archway Cookies. Um, Al Langs, who was Archway's top baker, um, he used to write a recipe in every monthly Archway newsletter. So Taylor is taking those recipes and she's created a book. And so uh, we're hoping to have that book available too. So it'll have some stories about Al Langs. It'll have some of Al's recipes in there and then okay. some uses of Archway cookies uh, and some other recipes that might be Taylor's. So she's going to be um, displaying what she her work is um, at our event um, with tasty treats and punch and cookies and happiness and big event. All right. Well, definitely mark that date on your calendar, folks. That's going to be April 29th. That's a Saturday. It's going to be 2 to 4 at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. That's at 307 West Jackson Street in Battle Creek. And you can come out and hear Sarah Rice. um, And your co-author is Leah Swanson. Worthington. 
Worthington. And she is going to be there as well, uh, talking and uh, sharing some stories. And then, of course, we have the other author of the recipe book that hopefully that will be ready by then. And um, so she's working at it. Yeah. Well, let's let's all hope that it's there so we can uh, have some recipe books to come home with it, too. But at least we'll have the book, um, which is Archway Cookies, A Taste of Americana. 20th century Americana. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. And so we're going to have that book there. You'll be signing it. Any any last minute um, points that you'd like to encourage people to come and little tidbit teaser maybe you can give them without telling the whole story? Yes. It is about how we get those archway cookies. Oh, we're going to have some secrets coming out here. <laughs> Because well, you might be eating an archway cookie, but how did you get that cookie? How did that cookie get to you? Yeah, good. The journey of a cookie. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for coming on today, Sarah. I have been speaking with Sarah Rice. She's the author of a new book about archway cookies. It's the history of the company, and it's a taste of 20th century Americana. Is the history of Archway Cookies a taste of 20th century Americana? Is that the right title there, Sarah? Yes. Okay. Good. So we're going to have that book available on the 29th. You can mark that date on your calendar. Definitely pick up tickets. It's going to be a fun event, and you're going to hear a lot of great history of this company. And a lot of, uh, I think the McKays are going to be there as well. So they're going to be willing to share some stories if they're asked. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we look forward to having sure. you at the museum. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening. <laughs>